الحمد لله الذي سلم ميزان العقل إلى أكف ذوي الألباب وأرسل الرسل المبشرين ومنذرين بالثواب والعقاب وجعل الشرائع كاملة لا نقص فيها ولا عاب أحمده حمد من يعلم أنه مسبب الأسباب وأشهد بوحدانيته شهادة مخلص في نيته غير مرتاب وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسله وقد سدل الكفر على وجه الإيمان الحجاب فأخرجهم من الظلام بنور الهدى وكشف النقاب وبين للناس ما نزل إليهم وأوضح مشكلات الكتاب فصلى الله عليه وعلى جميع الآل وكل الأصحاب وعلى التابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الحشر والحساب وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعض فيا أيها الإخوة المؤمنون السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة وأولو العلم قائما بالقسط صدق الله العظيم Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, Allah himself bears witness that there is no deity save he and the angels and the people of knowledge upholding balance. This is only one of very, very, very many times in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem where we find that the divine author directs our attention to the miracle and the necessity of thought, intellect, brain work. This is something for which our scripture is probably unique. You don't really get it in the New or the Old Testament. You don't really get it in many other scriptures that spring to mind. But again and again in the Quran, we find this emphasis. Allah himself bears witness, he says, that there is no deity save him and the angels and the people of knowledge upholding balance. And he says, to those who know, equate to those who do not know. And again and again we find this. And what are we to draw from this as we begin the new academic year? We are to draw from this the fact that this religion has for this area of life, as we try to hone our mental skills and try and get our heads around the Cambridge Tripos and do well, inshallah, that this is a, an area of life which is integrated into every other aspect of the believer's life. This is not some secular space. The lecture room is not some area of no concern to Allah and his messenger. The lecture room and the library are fully integrated into Islam, which believes in a fully integrated human being. This is part of this qist, part of this justice or balance. To be happy, we must be in balance. To be in balance, every part of us, every one of our interests, every one of the ways in which we think, every one of the ways in which we deal with particular situations, and when we come to a university, we're dealing with lots of new situations, are fully integrated. Otherwise, there's some kind of imbalance, some rupture, some cognitive dissonance. We behave in one way, according to, in one place, according to one set of values, and in another place, according to another. That which works for us in one place, maybe is not the one what works to us when we're, for us when we're back at home with mum and dad, or when we're in the masjid, or when we're online. And this is not healthy. This is the basis for a kind of life of agitation, because we end up being misfits. Instead, this qist is required, this balance, this justice, putting everything where it deserves. 
and never embarking on anything in our lives that cannot be integrated into that totality. Because if it can't be integrated, it will be a disruptive force and we don't need it. The reason why there are certain things we don't engage with is that they're just not good for us. Not because an arbitrary divine tyrant has said, don't go there, but because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only forbids the things that are khaba'ith, that are ugly, that will cause us disruption. And he calls us, يَدْعُكُمْ بِدَارِ salam to the abode of peace. The abode of peace in the akhirah, where our personalities will, inshallah, if we have nasib and we have the ahl al-jannah, be integrated and balanced. Where there is nothing out of place, nothing that grates, nothing that keeps us awake at night, nothing that doesn't quite work, but fully integrated human beings, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to be. But also in this world, this is how we are to live. This is not so easy. Even in past ages, even in the Medina of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, when things were so much clearer and so much simpler than they have become today, and the complexity increases logarithmically with each new generation, who could have thought that something like a telephone, whose function is so simple and obvious, could become such a complex thing? But everything has become complex. And it's more important than ever in these complex times for us to rediscover this integrated principle. Otherwise, everything is going to pull us in a thousand different directions and we'll be miserable, discontented, despite all of the treats that modernity offers and the accomplishments which are, inshallah, awaiting those who get Cambridge degrees. We won't really be happy with it all because what's within that most tender and difficult and obscure and indispensable thing is out of balance and disconnected and doubting and unhappy and not quite sure and behaving in different ways and in different contexts. But knowledge, as we begin our studies here, we can agree with our directors of studies and we agree with our tutors and we can agree with the lecturers and everybody, yes, we have to be intelligent, yes, we have to work hard. This intelligence is one of the greatest miracles. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu says it's the noblest thing. Ashrafa ma khalaqahullah. The aql is the noblest thing that Allah has created. Because there is within it that strange, deepest, oddest of mysteries, which is consciousness itself. The I, the self. That thing which can never be replicated in a machine or an animal, no matter how complicated or powerful they might be. This is uniquely human, as far as we can tell. in all the cosmic wastes, and they try to see if there's even a microbe on Mars, but there's not even a microbe, let alone the miracle of intelligence, which is the basis of the amana which is the basis of the takrim, the honoring which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed on the shoulders of us poor, weak mortals. We have this capacity to think. And to the extent that we're thinking and that we're using our minds and not being lazy, and the lower part of us always wants not to make that effort and squeeze the muscle of the brain and to go that extra mile, they would rather take shortcuts and would rather like an essay that's not quite as good as what we could do, and would rather not focus on what the lecturer is saying all the time, but maybe 5-10% of the time, there is that lower possibility, but to the extent that that lower possibility overmasters us, we are not fulfilling our possibility as created human beings, as ibad. Because that which is of the human being is something which is integrative. If you get into the habit of being lazy in one aspect of your life, it's going to be easy for you to be lazy in aspects of your life such as ibadah. Don't think that you can be inattentive in the lecture and really pay attention 100% of the time when you're praying your mother. The mind is a single thing, and the way to discipline it is something that we all know, because we're all more or less aware of the laziness that we have, and we have to focus it. And we know the damage that can be done by not paying attention. 
by, by being inadvertent. Most of the things that stress us out are because we haven't been disciplined with ourselves. Most of the things that depress us are because we haven't been disciplined with ourselves. We've allowed the mind to go on its own, sometimes dark pathways, and we haven't restrained it. The word aql in Arabic comes from the word that means a hobbling cord. That is to say, the Bedouin in the ancient Arabian desert, to stop his camel or horse wandering off in the night, had this cord which he tied around the legs of the camel so it couldn't get lost in the night. And the mind is from the same thing. The mind is to be restrained. The mind is to be disciplined. And then it can take you somewhere more amazing than any camel could take you. And this is the story of human civilization and the nobility of human beings. The capacity of this miracle of consciousness, of awareness, of disciplined thought is something more astonishing than anything that you'll see in, in, in this world or in the world of miracles. It's extraordinary. Just the fact of consciousness and awareness, the capacity to make near, the capacity to help hold one's attention, and therefore the capacity to do well. So religion, with these teachings, insisting that our full humanity comes about through using our minds, really equips us well to deal with a place like the University of Cambridge. But the secular culture out there tends to regard it as cool, just to chill and to be lazy and not really to do as much as you could because it's kind of boring and uncool to do really well at everything. But no, the believer has a different perspective. The believer does well, but not for the same reason that the unbeliever might do well. He doesn't want to get a first in order to show off or to please whoever or even to get a shining career, he wants to get a first, because in the process of getting there, he is properly using the extraordinary equipment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in his, in his head. He is properly discharging his Adamic responsibility. So all of this is a test. All of this is a religious test. Not a secular space in which you can be a little bit lazy, or cheat, or cut corners, or all of the other things that students frequently do. It's a place where you have to be in a state of muraqaba and muhasaba, because the damage that we do to ourselves and to the world through stupidity and ignorance, look at what the politicians do to the world, and despite the world with its beauty and its greenness and its resources and its bright spaces, the mess that the world is in, human stupidity, lack of intelligence, allowing the nafs to take over, this is the beginning and the end of our misfortune. A, a hadith says, إِنَّ الْأَحْمَقَ يُصِيبُ بِجَهْلِهِ أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا يُصِيبُهُ الْفَاجِرُ بِفُجُورِهِ the stupid man, with his ignorance, does more damage than the corrupt man does with his corruption. In other words, somebody who's following all of the seven deadly sins and maybe clubbing or whatever it is, does less damage than somebody who's just stupid and does stupid things. And this is prophetic teaching. And this is the nobility of the prophetic vocation. How is it that the whole Abrahamic story starts? Sayyidina Ibrahim Khalilullah, when he's still a boy, before he receives his sohof, before he receives revelation and any sorts that we could understand, he looks at what there is in the universe and he sees the star and he thinks maybe that's divine, that's the source of everything, the star sets. And he says, I don't love things that set. And therefore he's using his mind. That's what takes him forward. That's what makes him head and shoulders above the rest of his people. And then he sees the moon, the moon sets. And this is the sun and even the sun sets. And then he says, I need Allah's guidance. But, and then his story begins, and the story that takes him to Palestine, the story that takes him to the Hejaz, and the story that takes his legacy to ourselves here, and the reason why we're here is because of his use of aql, because of his use of intelligence. This is the way of the Anbiya, and this is really important. The Holy Prophet and his Sahaba always emphasized this. One of my favorite Sahabas is Sayyidina Tamim al-Dari. 
some of you will know of him because he tells a lot of amazing stories about the Akhirah and end time things and the Dajjal and the Masih, a lot of our stories and hadiths about those things are narrated by Sayyidina Tamim al-Dari. And his story itself is interesting. He's said to come from Central Asia. He ends up with a Christian tribe of Lacham uh, and he becomes a member of the, the Bani Lacham. Uh, and then he becomes Muslim, comes to the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The Holy Prophet wants to know what his tribe is all about. They're not Muslim, but what is it about them that uh, defines them? So he says, What is glory in your opinion? Because he knows in the Jahili world, it's all about glory. And he says, Al-Aql. And he says, You have told the truth. This is a story sometimes narrated of the Holy Prophet, sometimes narrated of Sayyidina Omar, but it's a prophetic wisdom. What the Holy Prophet brings is a recognition of the value of the mind, of intellect, above any tribal affiliation or boasting or other stupid stuff, nationalism that human beings might get into. Al-Aql is what makes us human, and it is the achievements of the mind and our capacity to use the mind in this extraordinary way of which only Bani Adam is capable that brings us up to extraordinary degrees. And he becomes, Muslim and he becomes really like an advisor to the Holy Prophet. So whenever we switch on the lights in the masjid today, first one to recommend that lamps be introduced into a masjid was Sayyidina Tamim al-Dari, radiallahu and he's buried in Palestine, and his, his mazar is an important place, now very close to a Jewish settlement, and unfortunately the settlers have broken in and vandalized it several times, because the Holy Prophet gave him land there even before it was conquered which indicates the extent of his love for him. But for him, what was great was intellect, al-aql. Now, Imam al-Ghazali, rahmatullahi alayhi, has at the beginning of his great Yahya, <coughs> a book which is called Kitab al-Ilm, the book of knowledge. And it's a complicated book because he starts by talking about what are the useful kinds of knowledge, what is less useful as a kind of knowledge, what is the meaning of knowledge, what is illuminated knowledge, what is revealed knowledge, what is transmitted knowledge, what is logical knowledge, what is knowledge of, of, of matter, what is moral knowledge. It is a complicated thing. The mind in its brilliance and complexity has things to say and ways of categorizing all these. But there's one chapter that I wanted to share with you because it transcends time and space and is really useful advice to students. So. Uh, inshallah, I'll just go through this. No way in which I'm going to remember ten different items, so I've brought, brought them with me. There's ten things, ten wazaif of the aql that he said, and he's advising students. And of course, he's advising them not just because he wants them to get good jobs at Lehman Brothers or whatever, but because he wants them to integrate the process of learning whether it's religious or sensibly secular learning, he talks about mathematics and what we call engineering and medicine as well. These all have their, their valid um, usages. He wants them to be integrated properly into the religious life. So that is his emphasis, and that's part of the greatness of this. So the first thing that you have to maintain when you are learning, he says, is to watch your ego and yourself and to keep it pure. That's ultimately what defines our value as human beings. It's the qalb that ultimately is the place of the divine regard and the divine judgment. Keep yourself pure. Be aware of yourself. Be aware of the antics of your ego and of its tendencies to be uh, lazy. Uh, and uh, remember, he says, that just as the prayer <coughs> is validated by the wudu that is before it, so also the mind and its application has to be preceded by a process of purification. Otherwise, if it's just the mind being clever about how to achieve its own lower desires, it's going to be a disaster. So we have to be aware 
of what we're doing and aware of why we're doing it and watch the intelligence in its motions rather than in some vague way assuming that it's just a fact that it's there. The intelligence is an extraordinary thing. And like any part of the body, it can be strengthened or it can be weakened through use or abuse or lack of use. We have to constantly be disciplined. So that's the first thing. Self-awareness, maybe what we call nowadays mindfulness, but he says purity of the self. Not just being aware of it, but watching out for what makes it impure and invalidates it. Secondly, he says, use the travel to the lecture room or the search for knowledge as an opportunity to cut your attachment to the dunya. He says very often when you travel to be a student, you're leaving home behind, you're leaving your usual pleasures and your maybe bad habits behind, you're in a new environment. Seize that opportunity, he says, to reduce your attachment to and need for dunya. Treat this as a kind of siyaha, a wandering in the desert looking for knowledge. So this is an opportunity, he says, as you enter the classroom, just to forget about all of the stuff that normally weighs you down, the temptations that you have. Qat al-alaiq, cut those attachments. Number three, he says, is if you're going to be a good student, you have to cultivate the virtue of humility. Don't swagger into the lecture room. Don't try and outsmart the teacher. Don't try and humiliate the teacher. Don't try and treat it as a kind of competition to see who's smartest. No, respect the teacher, recognize that he knows a whole lot more probably than you ever will, and in that state of humility and brokenness of the self, then you'll be a good student. Because reverence for the teacher is the same as reverence for knowledge. If you don't revere what you're studying, then um, what, what are you doing in a college? Yeah, then he says, if you're a beginner, watch out for the ego's tendency to look for controversial issues, divisive issues, issues on which there are kind of interesting ego clashes amongst scholars. But it's not the beginner's place to do that. If you're studying any discipline, you don't begin by saying, well, what are the different theories about the function of the spleen, for instance? No, you're a beginner. Learn what the teacher has to say. Attach yourself to the teacher. Take him seriously. Uh, know your teacher's position correctly. Uh, and also, when you do get into the area where there's differences of opinion, make sure that you have access to a teacher who can correctly present those views to you, rather than some kind of partisan. Do not attach yourself to a teacher or here we might say a supervisor, director of studies, tutor, whatever, who really is a fanatic for a particular point of view. Make sure you're studying with people who can respect different points of view and guide you through them objectively. <clears throat> point number five, don't over-specialise. If you're studying, don't become the world's greatest aspect, uh, expert on one particular kind of cell, for instance, or one particular equation, and be an ignoramus in everything else. Even in your discipline, to understand that thing correctly, you have to have, he says, a knowledge of the purpose and the basic arguments of every other area. So if you're a mathematician, you have to have a good sense of what mathematics is as a whole, rather than just specialising on one thing. Point number six, piece of advice number six, recognise when you read or listen or think what is really important and make sure that you understand that. There's all kinds of things that are less important that might seem interesting, but find what's really important, and if you understand that in any given discipline, then the other things will come naturally. But don't get hung up on smaller things because you want to show off about obscure things that you've learnt or because they're just kind of interesting to you. Make sure that every time you're in lecture, for instance, you're reading, you understand the main point that's being made. Advice number seven, be methodical, he says. When you have uh, studied a topic or attended a lesson, Make sure that you've really grasped what it's about before you go on to the next. 
Uh, and he says this is the same that we do when we're learning Tajweed, for instance. If you're reciting the Qur'an, make sure that you've recited the verse correctly, accurately, before you go on to recite the next verse. Don't just say oh, the rules are complicated, I'll do better with the next one. No. Verse by verse. And this is the, 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 the sunnah. Number eight. He says, knowledge is noble because of its outcomes, not because of the strength of its proofs. So this is in the context of a discussion about which forms of knowledge are better and more important. So is, for instance, astronomy more or less important than medicine, mathematics, and so forth. This is an internal issue. And he says, it's a mistake to think that a subject is really an important subject because it has very good arguments and a logical foundation. If that, that was, that's what we would nowadays call a kind of positivism. In other words, mathematics must be really the greatest of all subjects you could ever study because its proofs are so unarguable and clear. And the same with many of the physical sciences, where something like you know, classics, who knows, therefore it must be inferior. He says, no, knowledges are noble and should motivate us according to the nobility of their outcomes. So he says, medicine is more noble than astronomy because of the, the benefit that it brings to humanity. Even though the proofs that an astronomer can come up with are probably easier and stronger than the arguments that exist over the human body, which is a more imponderable thing. Number nine, make sure that you have the right intention when you start. To become an integrated person, to become a better person, and that all aspects of your life should come together. <coughs> that your intention for, you, for when you study, when you write an essay, when you do anything at college, is consonant with the intention that you have for everything else in your life. And if you make a religious intention, you will be given a religious reward, and it will become a badder, and you will have an adjunct for it. Number ten, he says, is knowing how each subject relates to its purpose and to the purposes of religion. So, engineering, for instance, what is engineering for? To have a good intention, you have to know what is this discipline for? Is it just so I can get number of letters after my name and get a job. Now, what is the fundamental purpose of this discipline? It's so that we can build better structures, safer structures, so we can build bridges and so we can benefit humanity. I have a clear sense of what it's for. Uh, this will not only energize me, but will make my intention closer to a religious intention. And then have a sense of why that is a religious intention. What is the dini benefit of what you're studying? And he goes on, but that's just one chapter from, from the book of... <coughs> And I think each one of those ten points is something that still speaks to us today because <coughs> human beings haven't changed. The mind is the same mind that it was in Imam Ghazali's time. The subjects are more complex and varied, and many of them are secular in a way that they weren't in his time. But this strategy of integrating our studies into our religious life is something that is timeless, and I think, inshallah, is of benefit. So maybe we all have tawfiq, inshallah, whether we're students or whether we're lecturers or researchers, to have, a, to have a way of integrating our scholarship into the rest of our lives, including our spiritual lives, our doctrinal lives, and our moral lives, inshallah. <laughs> الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الملك الحق المبين محمد رسول الله صادق الوعد الأمين أوصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله فإنه خير الزاد وإياكم مختثات الأمور فكل مختثة بدعة 
وكله بدعة ضلالة وكله ضلالة في الله وعلموا أن الله قد أمركم بأمر عظيم أمركم بالصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين فقال جل ثناؤه إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم إنا نسألك رضاك والجنة ونعوذ بك من سخطك والنار يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك ستر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكلنا حيث كنا يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام ووفق الله مولاة أمور المسلمين إلى العمل بكتاب الله وصنة سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفخشاء والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تسمعون وأقم الصلاة